Hello everyone and welcome back. It's the BMW Blog Podcast and this is episode 37. Uh, Solo again this week, uh, but next week we're going to have a good guest for you. I'll tease a little bit more at the end of the episode, but I do want to say just to give you a little glimmer of hope, there is a, um, a guest next week. We're really, really, really excited about it. So um, just stay tuned for the end of the episode. I'll give you a little bit of a teaser, but I'm not going to reveal who it is because I want it to be a, a bit of a surprise. Um, anyway, we have some good stuff, though, we're going to talk about this week. Some interesting cars that have kind of recently popped up in the uh, automotive world. And then a personal experience of mine I want to get to. Uh, test driving a competitor's car, something that uh, competes with BMW. And I think I had a really interesting time with it, and I really want to uh, kind of share that with you guys and see with uh, see what BMW fans have to say about it um, but the first car the first topic that I want to start off with is the new Rolls-Royce Ghost so this is the second generation of the BMW group owned Rolls-Royce Ghost there have been ghosts before BMW bought Rolls um, like I think a couple actually um, like ages and ages ago decades and decades ago um, but this is the second generation of the BMW group owned Rolls-Royce Ghost, so for all intents and purposes, we're going to call it the second-gen Ghost. So even though I don't, I don't hear any complaints about people like, well, there have been ghosts prior to this, I don't care. <laughs> I know, I'm not going to say like the 12th-gen Ghost, it's just insane. So we're going to go with second-gen Ghost. But uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting car. Um, it's, what fascinates me is that when you read the press release and you hear Rolls-Royce talk about it, it almost sounds as if they've poured all of their resources into this Ghost. Like they, it seems like they've worked harder on the Ghost than the Phantom, which is odd because the Phantom is supposed to be the best car in the world, right? It's supposed to be the most luxurious, the most advanced, the most impressive, imposing Rolls-Royce model there is. And it's interesting to see um, just how much effort Rolls not only put into the Ghost, but how much they emphasized they put into the Ghost. Like they really wanted to push the fact that they spent so much time on every tiny little aspect of the ghost even more so than they do when they talk about the phantom and the cullinan and things like that and i think the reason for that is i think rolls is realizing that while the phantom they consider the best car in the world the ghost is their most important car um not only is it the car that sells the most but it's the one that is selling to rolls royce's new major main clientele base um, I mean, the, the, before the first-gen Ghost, Rolls-Royce's average clientele age was like 127, right? But now it's in the 40s. So when you think about that, the, if the average is in the 40s, that means a, a huge chunk of Rolls-Royce buyers are under 40. And that's pretty impressive, actually, that there are that many people that can afford Rolls-Royce. And, you know, it's because there's tech billionaires and stuff like that by you know people who are super ridiculously rich before they can drive um so rolls royce is gaining a huge clientele base that it's never had before and it needs to market to them and to do that it means if it wants to market to a younger audience it needs a younger car it needs a car that doesn't seem like it's been built for snooty old rich grandparents um you know it needs to be a car that doesn't feel like it's you know, for old money, for people that have been rich for decades. You know, they need a car that's more modern, more hip, more youthful, and the Ghost is that car. And you can see that in every aspect of it, and it's really quite fascinating. So the, the front end of the new Ghost is like 
kind of sleek and almost sporty looking. Has like semi-aggressive headlights, which for Rolls Royce is a huge departure from, you know, what the brand is supposed to be. I mean, there's this old joke that if you even mention the word sportiness in Goodwood, they'll hang you in the Tower of London. Like, it, it's just not what the brand is about. And then here we go. And you even hear in the press release, they're talking about like, you know, dynamics and, and handling and things like that. It's kind of bizarre. But, you know, it's the change that Rolls-Royce needs to make if it wants to attract those tech billionaires, if it wants to attract those 25-year-old millionaires. It's just what it's going to have to do. And so this is a new era of Rolls-Royce, and it's kind of interesting to see. But having said that, I mean, there are aspects of it that are still very, very, very much, um, you know, a Rolls-Royce. Like, I love the, the idea that they've made the car too quiet. <laughs> I mean, Rolls is supposed to be unbelievably quiet from the inside. You know, you sit in a Phantom and you can't hear the outside world at all. You could drive through a construction zone and not hear a thing. I mean, it's ridiculously quiet. But apparently on the Ghost, they made, I mean, they went to extreme efforts. Like, they, they went they went crazy with it. They went crazy with it. Like, actually clinically crazy with it to make it so quiet that it actually became too quiet. And here's the, like, here are the the lengths they went to so they learned that the air conditioning ducts the air made too much noise going through the ducts so they polished the insides of the ducts so that the air went more went through the ducts more smoothly that is crazy to me just a little attention to detail like that is insane um but they ended up actually making the cabin too quiet to the point where it was actually uncomfortable and unnerving for passengers like one of those uh like uh, isolation chambers where it's so quiet you can hear your own heartbeat and like it freaks you out like one of those kind of things and that's kind of hilarious that they like imagine being so good at your job that you're too good at your job that you actually have to be a little bit worse at your job so that people will actually buy your product like that's kind of a bizarre little twist but uh apparently that's the case and Apparently, the, the ghost is eerily quiet, and, and here's the thing. So they realize that to, to not be disoriented in such a quiet car, you have to hear a little bit, right? You need, like, you just need a little something so you don't lose your mind, uh, you know, listening to your own blood pump through your own veins. So you need a little bit. So they had to engineer a little bit of sound back into the cabin, and they engineered a specific note with specific frequencies and a specific tone that's just perfectly calm and soothing, and they call it the whisper. And to me, that sounds really creepy. <laughs> like, they're just going to whisper. It sounds, like, kind of hilariously creepy. Um, and I love Rolls-Royce for that. It's the most obnoxiously opulent rich person thing to say, like, oh, we have a whisper in our car. But it's just what Rolls-Royce is, and I love that. It's just, it, it's, it makes me laugh. But uh, I'm really excited about this new Ghost, though, because uh, it's supposed to actually be like the, the Rolls-Royce for the driver, which kind of seems bizarre. But, you know, it's kind of, it seems uh, like kind of the opposite of what Rolls is supposed to be. But that's what intrigues me about it. I really want to get in a Ghost, and I really want to drive it, and I really want to see what it's like. And to be honest with you, I don't think... Rolls are that bad of driver's cars. I mean, I, I know everyone says that they're not for, and they aren't driver's cars. Let's be clear, they aren't. But they're not bad at it. Like I, uh, last year, I had the chance to drive the new Cullinan Black Badge. But before that, uh, before I hopped in the Black Badge, I was actually in a Wraith Black Badge, and I was snaking that up uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I actually was having a pleasant time. Like it was really enjoyable. It wasn't fun. Like I wasn't. It wasn't thrilling me. 
but like learning the weight of the car and using the torque and kind of figuring it out it was kind of fun to make this big heavy luxury car dance through corners and it's a surprisingly capable car so i was actually really enjoying myself in a very different way than i would have in a sports car but it was still very enjoyable and and, and i was i think i was trying to go as quickly as i could i wasn't you know just leisurely snaking it through i was you know trying to go quickly and uh, it really was a, a nice experience. It was fun. It wasn't, you know, light your hair on fire fun, but it was fun in a very different way. And, and I think if the ghost can touch on that even more without going too far, without making it, you know, sporty and without ruining the ride and kind of keeping that Rolls Royce brand, uh, you know, brand image and, and whatnot, I think that it's going to be a really, really, really great luxury car. And I'm really excited about it. I think it'll actually be a better car than the Phantom and a better car than the Cullinan because it's just. And a better luxury car for that, I mean, because it's just going to be more enjoyable to be in. It's going to be more enjoyable to drive. And I think it's really going to nail their target audience. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I really can't wait to drive it. It's going to be cool. It's going to be a good car, I think. I think it looks really promising. And I like Rolls-Royce. I mean, Rolls-Royce is hilarious. It's just, it's so overly, obnoxiously opulent that it's it just makes me laugh. I mean, I'll never be able to afford the insurance on a Rolls-Royce, but it's just, I love the brand. It's just absurd. And uh, I just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful brand, and I can't wait to drive the new Ghost. The next car I want to talk to you about is a BMW, and it is the new BMW M4, specifically the one with M performance parts, because we recently saw a few test mules driving around in some spy photos they looked quite a bit different than the standard M4, and we originally thought, the initial reaction was that it was an M4 CSL. That was the initial reaction, because we know CSL models are coming, uh, the M4 CSL is the most likely, So we, and we do know that there's going to be some sort of like hardcore M4, so that was just the natural uh, thought process. We thought, okay, we know a crazy M4 is coming, this looks like a crazy M4, it must be it. Turns out it's not. Turns out it's BMW testing M performance parts on the new M4, um, parts that you can buy, you know, to add on to your standard M4. Now, the, there was a thought that, that could have been it when we first saw the test mule. We were like, well, maybe it's, is it just M performance parts? And then I said, no, I don't think it is because it's so different from the standard car. There are things that are changed so much that I don't see how that would be an end performance part. But it turns out I was wrong, at least from what our sources tell us, that I, I, I'm wrong on that, and that it is actually just end performance parts on this test mule. But when you look at it, it's pretty wild what you're gonna be able to get um, as just an, after, not an aftermarket, but like an add-on part for your M4. I mean, there's a fixed rear wing, which is pretty cool because it gives it like a racier look. And the big deal was the exhaust. So since i want to say the e46 m3 maybe the e39 m5 i don't really know what the first m car was to get quad exhaust two pipes on either side of the the rear bumper you know on the driver and passenger side of the rear bumper there are two pipes on either side so that's quad pipes that has been the m division staple for decades and it's different on this m4 it's still four pipes still quad pipes but when you get the M Performance exhaust, they're much, much closer together. They're like right at the center of the rear bumper, and they're in a sort of stacked triangular pattern, um, which is very, very different from anything BMW M has done before. And it looks bizarre. It really does. Um, it sort of has like a Lexus ISF look to it, 
which honestly it doesn't look bad. It's just different. It's very, very, very different. But the, the thing that struck me was that's got to require a lot of change. I mean, you look at it, and the whole rear bumper has to be different from the standard car. So if you want to get the new exhaust, you have to get a different bumper to go along with it. And then underneath, all the exhaust hangers and things like that have to be different. They're mounted in different places to accommodate the different placement of the exhaust. So when you get that new exhaust, so much has to change. That's what originally made me think that it was an entirely new model. Because I, it, I still have a hard time believing that BMW is going to sell you an exhaust that has to come with a bumper and different equipment to mount the exhaust because it's in a different spot. Like, that kind of seems bizarre to me. But I, from what we're told, that's the case, and it seems kind of crazy. And hopefully, it, the price is reasonable because that seems like it could get very expensive very quickly. So for any M4 owners, uh, I'm hoping that that, and any M4 owners that want that exhaust, I'm hoping that it's relatively affordable and the price isn't too crazy because that seems like it should be very expensive um, and it's supposed to make the car sound better obviously because it's you know an M performance exhaust but I'm also hoping that it sounds better than previous M performance, M performance exhaust excuse me because I last M performance car I drove uh, that's a bad way of saying it because BMW has M performance cars now but the, the last M car I drove with M performance additional parts to it was an M2 competition and it had a whole bunch of stuff on it and I didn't love the exhaust it's it just sounded loud like it didn't sound good it didn't make it sound better than the standard car it just made it loud like really 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 loud and you know no volume isn't it's actually I wouldn't say it's even in the top three most important things about what makes a, a, an exhaust sound good um so I just hope that they tune it to sound better I hope they tune it to sound you know, a little bit sharper, a little bit more mechanical, a little bit more real. Give it, you know, because now it, with turbocharged engines, you get aftermarket exhausts and they just sound, you know, like boomy and overly artificial. You know, give me that engine noise. Give me that, you know, mechanical. I want to hear induction noise. I want to hear that good stuff. Give me, the, I know induction noise doesn't come from the exhaust, but you know what I mean. Like, I want to hear the good stuff, the, the, the music of the, the exhaust. I don't want to just hear booming, loud Know, screaming from it so I'm hoping that the actual sound is better um, but moving on from that a little bit while the car we saw was not an M4 CSL an M4 CSL is coming from what we understand there will be an M4 CSL and it's gonna be an interesting car because it's gonna be the first CSL since the E46 and that car is a legend I mean it's an icon it is one of the greatest driving cars BMW's ever produced. If it had a manual transmission in it, it might be might have been considered the greatest BMW ever made because it was that good to drive. It's just transmission was kind of crap, but um, you know everything else about it was absolutely brilliant. So if, if they had stuck a manual, it'd probably be considered the best. But now this is the next CSL, um, and it has a lot to live up to. It really does, and I think this this chassis, this M4 chassis can handle it. I think this M4 chassis is probably going to be good enough to make a genuinely special, special driver's car because we've already driven the basis of it, the G20, the 3 Series. Um, we've already driven extensively and it's an outstanding chassis. I mean, uh, even when we interviewed Jason Camisa, he had said that he drove an M340i on track and was like, oh, this could be an M3. Like, it's that good. It's that good of a chassis that it can handle so much. And according to what we've been told, the M division took it and 
made just even the chassis better. You know, they increased stiff, uh, you know, stiffening or stiffness rather, and they, they made it just more dynamic and, and more agile and, you know, changed suspension mounting points and things like that. And they did all this stuff to make it significantly different from the G20 in a better way. So you take that in mind and then you, you add in the S58 engine, which at who knows at CSL levels probably going to make, you know, 550 horsepower or something crazy like that. Most likely rear-wheel drive, even though I'm hoping they don't go with an all-wheel drive only thing for the CSL. I think that would ruin it, but there's a possibility because BMW is all about like numbers now and not about feel. But hopefully they stick it with the rear-wheel drive. It's going to look insane. Uh, from what we understand, it's going to look similar to the M Performance parts car, but with like a crazy hood that has vents and scoops in it and for cooling and all sorts of crazy stuff. Apparently it's going to look like really aggressive from what we understand. Um... So you take all that in mind and you think, okay, well, this sounds pretty good, actually. It sounds like a good package. You have a great chassis to begin with that's been improved even further. You have a brilliant engine that we, we would love using in the X3M. Um, and most likely going to be rear-wheel drive and it's going to look incredible. It sounds like a really great proposition, to be honest. You know, It sounds like this could be the real deal and that it could be a genuinely good successor to the E46 M3 CSL. Now, here's the thing. I think despite the fact that it would be slow compared to all its rivals, I think BMW should stick it with a manual. I think BMW should learn from its mistake with the E46. The biggest complaint about the E46 M3 CSL was its crappy transmission. Admittedly, that single clutch SMG was not very good. It was lurchy around town. It was difficult to use. It was dim-witted and slow when left to its own devices. The, you know, the shift quality wasn't good. It didn't shift fast enough when you wanted it. It didn't downshift fast enough when you wanted it. It just wasn't. It, it just distracted from the, the rest of the brilliance that that car was. And I and even there are some manual conversions of that car now. And when you see those and you see people drive them, like I, I remember there was a Carfection review of one uh, with a converted manual and things like that. And everyone who drives it says the same thing. It's how the car should have been from the, from the beginning because it just unlocks that extra potential, that extra driving engagement because that's the whole point. The CSL is supposed to be a lightweight driver's car. It isn't supposed to be about anything else but the, the joy, the thrill of driving. And a manual unlocks that. Now we know that the M4 is going to come with a manual gearbox. We know this. So, BMW, M, if you're listening, don't stick an automatic in it. Because the last thing anyone who's buying a CSL anything wants is a regular 8-speed torque converter slush box automatic. Because that's the automatic that you can find in any BMW right now. And BMW is not going to make a dual clutch specifically for that car. And yeah, sure, a dual clutch would be fun. And it would be better than the regular automatic, which admittedly is a brilliant automatic, but there's no place in a car like a CSL. Either give it a ridiculously awesome dual clutch, which would still would not be the best option, but either give it that or just stick a six-speed manual in it. The enthusiast world would go flipping nuts. Every car enthusiast in the world would want one. And another thing, you would distract from the really ugly grill because it's going to be ugly. The grill's going to be weird. No one likes it. <laughs> I'm just stating facts here. Very few people like it. It isn't a, it isn't a big hit. The rest of the car looks fantastic. The grill's going to look weird. So distract from it. 
distract from it. Give people a reason to want the car anyway. And a manual CSL would get people. I mean, you would, you'd, BMW, if you're listening, you would sell out of manual CSLs in minutes. You wouldn't be able to make them fast enough because enthusiasts would buy them so quickly because it would be a manual CSL again. I mean, that's amazing if that's the case. And you throw in all the other factors, you know, like 500 plus horsepower, rear wheel drive, you know, brilliant chassis and a manual. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's going to be, that would be incredible. And it would also make BMW M look like the real deal performance brand in maybe the world. I mean, outside of Porsche, no one else really makes manual transmission performance cars anymore. Even the Corvette, like the good old boy sports car is automatic only now. It's dual clutch only. So if BMW is putting out hardcore proper driver's cars with a manual, the only other game in town is the Porsche 911 GT3. Even the Shelby GT500 is automatic only now. So the only game in town would be, if you wanted a manual, would be Porsche and BMW. And Porsche fans don't cross shop. So anyone who is going to cross shop, I mean, the BMW is right there. BMW is, would be probably cheaper and, you know, more exclusive and more special because it harkens back to the old CSL name. So if I'm BMW M, you got to put a manual in there. You just, it's a no-brainer. While we're on the topic of manuals, for the love of car gods, BMW, put a manual in the M3 Touring. I don't know if it's going to have a manual or not. We have no idea. We know nothing about the spec of the car, whether it's going to be competition only or all-wheel drive only or rear-wheel drive, whatever. We don't know anything about it. However, we know the standard M3 will have a manual option. So give the M3 Touring at least the option for a manual. You would have a 500 horsepower, straight six, rear-wheel drive manual wagon. Greatest thing in the world. I've said it a thousand times. I know I'm harping on it. I know you probably are sick of me hearing it. But BMW M, please do that. It would be amazing. All right, so let me get off that, though. Let me uh, switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk to you about a personal experience of mine, a car that I recently drove. I had a week with it. Uh, it's com- uh, a competitor to BMW. It's a, well, a competitive brand. BMW makes nothing that competes with this car. Um, and it's one that I absolutely fell in love with, and I would take it over any single BMW product on sale right now without even blinking. And it's the Audi R8. Now, I can already hear, I can already hear the comments about me being a Volkswagen Group fanboy. And yes, I do like cars in the Volkswagen Group because I'm a car enthusiast, and they make a lot of really good cars. So, that's just how it is. This, you know, car enthusiasm is a meritocracy. I like the best cars, like the most interesting cars, and the Volkswagen Group makes a lot of good ones. So, I had the chance to test drive an Audi R8 for a week, and it is one of the greatest cars I've ever driven. Now, I know that it's not the best supercar. I know that it's not the most fun or most dynamic or purist or doesn't have the best steering. It doesn't have the best this. doesn't have the best that. There are McLarens and Ferraris and yada yada that are better. I get it. But the Audi R8 has one thing that few other cars in the industry have. And it's one thing that I think would have me buying it over any Ferrari, over any McLaren. And it's a naturally aspirated V10. The engine in the R8 is an absolute masterpiece. It is remarkable. There's no other word for it. It's a masterpiece. It's one of the best engines on sale right now. It might even be the very best engine on sale right now. It makes every engine from Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Porsche, everything look like child's play. 
I mean, it is absurdly good. It is a 5.2 liter naturally aspirated V10, if you don't know. The car I tested was an R8 V10 performance, so it had 602 horsepower and like 400 and something pound-feet of torque. I honestly don't even care how much torque it had because it doesn't honestly matter. Uh, if you care about 0-60 times, I think you can hit 60 in under 3 seconds. It's remarkably quick. But what blows my mind about that engine, two things. Firstly, how much torque it has down low. You can be just messing, like just pooling around, around town, and for a naturally aspirated engine, it has a surprising amount of torque low down in the rev range. And that's because it actually has a longer stroke than you would think. Even though it revs to over 8,000 RPM, it actually has a stroke longer than an engine that can rev that high should. It's just built to an absurdly high standard. And the crazy thing is they're relatively reliable. Like you see these engines, they go 50, 60, 70, 80,000, 100,000 miles without really any major maintenance. They're really, for being so high strung, and such you know like exotic engines they last a while they're built really really well but the thing about it is because it revs so high and it is naturally aspirated and it's geared perfectly the, you know it's short gearing it's perfect it has the sharpest throttle response of any modern car i've driven in a, i mean maybe ever it, it's just razor sharp it's so linear and smooth I mean, it feels like your right foot is just directly connected to the throttle on that, or the, um, the throttle body on that car. It's just like, it's a perfect, it's perfect throttle calibration. It's wonderful. But the absolute best thing about it is the noise. I mean, it sounds, at 8,000 RPM, the noise makes the hair on my back of my neck stand up every single time it did that. Every single blast at 8,000 RPM. Didn't matter the speed or the gear, it didn't matter. Every single blast of that RPM was like a religious experience. It was absolutely intoxicating. And yes, the rest of the R8 is merely very good. Like, it's a very good sports car. It isn't the best, I'd say, of the 911 GT3. It'll probably blow the doors off it in terms of feel and, and you know response and engagement and things like that. But it is so thrilling because of that engine. That engine gives that R8 so much more character than anything else because you don't care about anything else in that moment. When you are revving that thing to 8,000 RPM, you don't care about anything else. It is glorious. And it is also shockingly fast. I mean, like, really fast. It feels like teleportation. I mean, you're, if you're in the right gear and you put your foot down, you don't, you don't, you move so quickly, you don't have time to comprehend or understand the distance that you just traveled. It's, it's almost alarming. It's like it literally feels like teleportation. Like you just hit the pin the throttle, and then you're in a different place, and you don't have time to recognize what you just passed. Like all the scenery that just passed, you don't have time to understand it. It's crazy how quick it is. It is a remarkably fast car, but it's also really good to drive. The steering is very accurate and responsive. Um, the, the suspension is beautifully calibrated. Mine didn't even have adaptive dampers, and it was like. It was just so, it was supple over harsh pavement, but it never felt squishy. You know, it never got bouncy. It was just, it was just perfectly calibrated. Really, really lovely. It was a little bit on the firm side, but I mean, it was on like, you know, massive 20 inch wheels and, you know, it's a super low car. It's crazy how supple it, it is for, you know, a car of its kind. Um, the interior is great. Outstanding visibility 
uh, outward visibility f- looking forward. Rear, you know, there are some bad blind spots, but it is a mid-engine car, so that's kind of for- forgivable. But like forward visibility is outstanding. Seating position is great. Sat a little bit too tall, a little, little higher than I would have liked, honestly. But to be perfectly honest, I haven't been in a modern car in years where I could adjust my seat low enough. Um, for some odd reason, it just seems like every car doesn't go low enough anymore for me. But um, and I'm short, so that's kind of surprising. But uh, you know, seating position is still very, very, very good. The seats were fantastic. One day, I, I drove all the way from my house in South Jersey, all the way up to Columbia County, New York, and it was you know several hours each way, and you know I got stuck in traffic each way. I spent probably, and then when I got there, I went driving you know, with friends who had a McLaren 570S and an Aston Martin Vantage V12. I mean, like, kind of driving around through some really twisty, beautiful roads. And we, I spent, you know, another few hours in that car. I sp- probably spent almost 10 hours in that car all day. And it only by, like, the last hour or so did my, like, ass and legs start to get uncomfortable. Um, it, the seats are great despite being really thin. It's a comfortable car. You know, has all the tech you'd ever really, really need. It's a little bit behind on tech nowadays, but this generation R8 is getting a little bit long in the tooth, so I kind of get it. But even still, Audi's virtual cockpit's brilliant. It had all the tech I needed, and it was just a really, really great car to get on with for, you know, several, many, many hours in just a single day. And I absolutely fell in love with the car. It was one of, like, it's not often anymore. As a car journalist, you kind of get jaded. You get all these incredible cars. They get dropped off at your door, and you have them for a week, and you test them, and you become jaded because you test the best cars in the world, and then all of a sudden when something isn't amazing, it's like, eh, you kind of like kind of write it off. It's not so great. And then it starts to, and it starts to take a lot to really impress you. You know, you don't really fall in love with cars anymore uh, because, you know, it, it's just it's hard to impress a car journalist nowadays, but the Audi R8 really left an impression on me as a car that I would absolutely adore to own. Like, I would love owning it. It would be the thrill of my life to own an Audi R8 because it sounds so good. The engine is an absolute masterpiece. It looks so good and you can drive it everywhere. Like you don't feel uncomfortable getting in an R8 and just, you know, jumping out, going down to the store really quick because it's not some ridiculously, um, you you know, it's not a high strung exotic where it's going to give you issues all the time or, or where it's kind of annoying to drive in traffic or anything like that. Like you can, most supercars are like that nowadays, to be honest with you. But even Ferraris, you know, the, the infotainment systems are finicky, and they can they ride a little harshly, and their noses are really low, and you're kind of terrified of every you know driving everywhere. But you don't feel that way in the R8. You know, it kind of feels normal when you drive around. It's no more difficult than to drive than an Audi A4. You know, and 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 that kind of while that's usually a knock against it. I actually look at it as a positive because you can drive it every day and then you get to use that engine all the time. You know, to me, if I want a supercar, I don't buy a supercar because I want to drive it once a week. I want to drive it constantly. And the R8 would be a car that you could drive constantly. It's not going to make you uncomfortable. It's not going to make you nervous. The nose isn't so low. Like, I have a pretty steep, um, like, driveway skirt getting into my, getting into my driveway scrapes most cars. So I have to go in on, on an angle. And... You know, even just going in on an angle in the R8 was fine. It was easy. I could get in my driveway, no problem. You know, I would be able to do that easily in a Ferrari or something like that. So the the ability to do that in an R8 makes it so much more usable. And the fact that a supercar with an engine that is a genuine masterpiece, um, to be able to use that every day, I think is a real 
um, Pro. It's a real feather in the R8's cap. I think it's just a really, really wonderful car. And I would love to own it. And here's the thing that I, I kept thinking this over and over again. The R8 was a very expensive car. Uh, mine, as tested, was just over $200,000. It was really, really expensive. But only a few weeks prior, I tested a BMW M8 Grand Coupe that was almost 170 grand. And there isn't a chance in hell that that M8 is worth anywhere near as much as an R8. The, the, the specialness, the, 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 the vast difference between how special the R8 felt versus the, the M8 Grand Coupe. I mean, it was like, it was like, the grand, it was like a Grand Canyon-sized gap between them and how special they feel. I mean, the M8 could have been a 3 Series from the inside, or three, a really fast 3 Series. It just, not even just the, the interior materials or quality or design, just the way it feels. It doesn't feel special, whereas the R8 felt special the whole time. It felt like you were in something genuinely special, and it felt like an event every single time, and it was worth its money. Very few cars nowadays that I, t I test drive, I say, yeah, that's worth the money. Like if something's a hundred grand, I really say it's probably not worth a hundred grand. If for hundred grand, you get an i11 or something like that. But I would spend that money on an R8. I would, if I had it, I would buy one because it's that good. It's really that well. It's so well rounded. And during the day, when we were, uh, you know, comparing it to the McLaren, like the McLaren 570s is faster. It's, it's it has less power, but it's it's lighter. Its carbon fiber chassis is stiffer. Um, it looks more exotic. Uh, the interior is more interesting. Uh, the, the McLaren we were with was a Spider, so it had the convertible top, which is awesome, and it's awesome. They can drop the top and not <laughs> reduce any torsional rigidity because it's a carbon tub. So it was a, a rear-wheel drive, so it's like a really, really cool car, and on the road is an absolute weapon. I mean, I, I couldn't keep it off my tail, and I had more power you know, in, in a V10, whereas the McLaren's a twin-turbo V8. But... You know, it's a really, really fast car, but I'd rather have the R8 because it was just more, it felt more interesting. You know, that V10 was just, it's its the centerpiece. It, it, it just destroys everything else. You, you don't care about anything else when you hear that V10, you know, roaring down a twisty uh, mountain road. It's just glorious. Absolutely incredible. So the whole time I was thinking, like, BMW has nothing like this. There is nothing from BMW that can challenge the Audi R8 in terms of feeling special. Like, should there be a, you know, something is I make competition coupe or something is just as fast around a track or maybe I don't know um, but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter I don't care about any of that when you're driving uh, the the R8 compared to anything from BMW you just think it's this is in another league it's just in another league than anything BMW has to offer and that made me sad because I love BMW as a brand it was the first brand I really fell in love with and it was it's still you know I don't know if like I have a favorite brand anymore I'm not a five-year-old but uh, you know, it's still a brand that's very, very close to my heart, and to see that there's nothing that BMW has to compare to the Audi R8 really made me, and I don't mean in, in terms of performance, because I know BMW is not going to make a supercar, and I'm, I'm, I think that's, that's a, probably a good decision, but there's just nothing that made me, makes me giggle and laugh like a dumb child when I drive it from BMW, whereas the Audi R8, I mean, I, I, I couldn't stop grinning and giggling and laughing and just flat out I mean sometimes I was absolutely speechless at the adrenaline rush I'd feel from that engine but there's nothing there's nothing like that from BMW the M2 competition comes a little bit close because it's really fun if you get it on the right road and you really get into a rhythm it's a really really good driver's car 
but it doesn't like it doesn't make that great a noise. Um, it's just not. It just there's nothing there's nothing comparable from what BMW makes to the Audi R8 and cuts and also the the Porsche 911, uh, Mercedes AMG GT. All of those cars are cars that, that touch you more emotionally than what BMW has, and that's the opposite of how things are supposed to be. It was always that BMW was the car that had the emotion. It was always the BMW that touched you as a driver that you you wanted to keep driving it because of the way it made you feel. And right now it seems that BMWs are only about the end result. It's only about performance. This thing can lap a track in this amount of time. It can hit 60 in this amount of time. It has this much power. It has this much grip. And yada yada. It's all about the numbers. All about the spec sheet. And it seems like the antithesis of BMW. And it's sort of upsetting. So when I drove the R8 and I thought, man, BMW has, has nothing. It's got nothing that can keep up with this uh, in terms of just fun and just how it made me feel and how exciting it is. Uh, it really kind of made me sad. Uh, which So I want to kind of double back. M4 CSL BMW, it's your chance. It's your chance to really show the world that, okay, we can do this again. We can be the brand that makes the cars that drivers want. Forget about performance. Forget about lap times. Take an M4 CSL. Give it the big engine. Make it rear-wheel drive only. Make it manual only. Don't give it an automatic option. Manual only. Forget about the, the nerds who want to buy one that you know don't want to drive a stick. Make me... Maybe custom make some automatics for people who don't have a left leg or like people like that. You know, and I'm being serious. I'm not even like, you know, trying to make a joke. Like make some exceptions for people who like really can't drive a stick. That, that's an, a real excuse. But people who just just don't want to learn, they don't get they don't get an M4 CSL, to be honest with you. I feel like that's how it should be. I feel like the CSL should be about drivers who really want to drive. And, you know, give it a manual. Then you'll have a car that can provide the driving thrills that an Audi R8 can. And here's the thing. There are going to be people who say, well, BMW steering feel isn't great anymore, and, you know, it's a little too stiff, a little too bouncy. That's fine. The Audi R8 didn't have steering feel either, but I loved every second of driving it because it just made you feel special. BMW has something about it that makes it special. There's nothing about any modern BMW product that does that. So give M4 CSL, or make an M4 CSL, give it a manual, make an M3 Touring, give it a manual, do things like that, make interesting, exciting cars that really thrill the driver. And now is your chance, BMW. You have a lot of good cars in the pipeline. Do that. <laughs> do that. Um, so that's my uh, personal Audi R8 story. But I want to get on to, I just want to tease a little bit before I go, because that's all the, all the topics we have. But I want to tease our, our guest for next week. It's one that I am through the through the roof over i'm so excited that we have um this this guest on next week uh and it is i won't say if it's a man or woman i will just say they uh were a designer for bmw they have designed many bmws in the past and i will say that this person's designs maybe they're a bit controversial so that's all i'm gonna say it's gonna be a great. It's gonna be a great interview. I'm very excited about it. It's a person I've wanted to talk to for a long, long time. So please stay tuned for next week's episode um, because I think it's gonna be a good one. So thank you for listening and uh, keep your eyes peeled for the next one.